I'm Keith Baker, creator of Eberron, and you're listening to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. The podcast this week is sponsored by Second Century Fox, creators of the world's most entertaining and dramatic illusions, from comic tales of poor people being oppressed by the elite to dramatic fables about poor people being oppressed by the uh, elite to sweeping sagas about uh, poor people being oppressed by... Look, can't they oppress someone other than just the poor people? I'm an equal opportunities oppressor. I've oppressed along with the best of them. Now, where's that screenplay I wrote? All the tabletop roleplay news. We aim to amuse and we aim to enthuse. And Morris is unofficial tabletop RPG. Hello, 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 and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. I am Russ, a.k.a. Morris, or Morris, a.k.a. Russ, and with me this week is... Peter Coffey from the Southampton Guild of Roleplayers. Russ has ever, I am absolutely delighted to be here. Peter, would you like to know who our guest is this week? Boy, would I. Or would you like to try and guess who our guest is? Um, Let's see. You've well, basically got a one in seven billion chance of getting it right, I think, if my uh, mathematics well, is Well, I'd be most excited to see, like, the absolute <laughs> most exciting person it could possibly be would be Paul Hughes. My God, it is! Wow, what? that is stunning. What, what, a what were the chances? <laughs> one in well, seven billion. Yeah, yeah, one in seven billion. Minus two, because it probably was neither Peter nor Russ. So that's That is very true, too. Actually, I'd like to change my answer. The most person I'd be most <laughs> excited to meet coming on as a guest of the podcast would be myself. Right, yeah, that, that would, would be... <laughs> that would be weird. That'd be awesome. Mm. <laughs> yeah. For certain values, of course. <laughs> Just think, you'd have like twice as much me. I mean, quite frankly, you can't put a price on that sort of value. Yeah. You've definitely got a different dictionary to me, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it comes with a pronunciation guide. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I guess this week is, yes. I, I think, one of the people who most understand D&D statistics or the mathematics that make D&D work out of pretty much anybody I know and I would hazard a guess pretty much a lot of people who actually work at Wizards of the Coast too that <laughs> not, does. Not, 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 not that I know for sure but Paul, Paul Hughes runs a, a blog called Blog of Holding and he's done things like uh Break broken down the, the statistics of monsters. He's put, uh, he's created the monsters on a business card project, which is a really, really clever little sort of concept of just breaking down the fundamental stats of monsters distilled, and climbing them down. Distilled yeah. like a mad alchemist into a single credit card size piece of yeah, information. Right. How exactly it is that you, a monster and CR relate, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Good yeah. job. Well, it didn't take too much cleverness to come up with a concept for 5th edition because I actually had done mm. it for 4th edition. And 4th uh, mm-hmm. edition on a business card, the statistics are so uh, unvarying that you actually have enough yeah. room that you could you could put you sell advertising space on the business card. Yeah. <laughs> it just yeah. takes a, a quarter of a business card. Uh, right, right. 5th uh, edition is more complicated, so I had to well, jam yeah, it yeah, a I presume more. with 4th edition, you just need to know your monster role, its yes. level... Right, and, and, you just and then you basically got its stats, then, haven't you? <laughs> exactly. Pretty much. Yeah, sounds fantastic. But anyway, we will talk all about that a little bit later. Let's do some RPG news before we do that. Interesting. So the biggest news of the week, maybe, is the Dragonlance novels were finally officially announced. 
Yes. So we've known about them for three or four months now, I think. Uh, I don't know if we know about them. Well, we knew that they've been sort of being written and then there was a whole lawsuit and then lawsuits yeah. drawn. And now suddenly, hey, Dragonlance novels. So yeah. it's yeah. interesting. So so the law- the lawsuit was for late last year, September, October, somewhere around then. I can't remember. Yeah, exactly. about the third or fourth million b- yeah. millennia BC. So I can't exactly yeah. pin it down. Archaeology is <laughs> sort of sure at this date. Yeah. <laughs> but um, that, that's that's when um, basically the world found out that Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman were working mm-hmm. on a new trilogy of Dragonlance novels. Yes. And then... It was probably about three weeks ago on Amazon UK, I want to say. Um, a placeholder page appeared yes, for the yes. first of those novels Spoiling with a release date of July the 21st, mm. which kind of definitely confirmed it. Yeah. And then, just last week, or just this week, uh, Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman finally got around to actually announcing them. Mm. And the interesting thing about that is there's not an awful lot there we didn't already know. It's a trilogy mm-hmm. of books. The first one's called yeah. Dragons of Deceit. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know an awful lot about them. We know there's classic characters involved, according to their Ooh. announcement. Okay. Plus a strong new character. Good. Yeah. I don't know what strong means in that context, but... Uh, well, presumably they've got a really high strength statistic. Maybe, That's- yeah. Maybe. Who knows? Why <laughs> 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 they can lift so much stuff. You can, uh, you can fit so is- much armor on this guy, yeah. I'm really excited to meet Flannis half human. I want to see the half. He's, he's, oh, he's a also human a without a beard. I want to see the half, Flannis. Well, the other half's human That's, as well. It's, a different it's just a human family name. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, the, the interesting part, though, is the branding of it. So they're calling this, they're not calling it just Dragonlance, they're calling it classic Dragonlance. And they're specifically calling that and putting that on all the logos and all the l- releases and stuff like that. They're calling it Classic Dragonlance. And they're well, using the old Dragonlance logo from mm-hmm. the 1980s, not the newer mm-hmm. sort of fifth age one that's got the big red dragon Ooh. curling around the banner. That's a highly oh. Coca-Cola move. Yeah. I, I, I was just thinking, actually, it's like a big change from a Coca from Dragonlance Clear, which was just not well received. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, I couldn't tell the difference. So and, and, and for our younger listeners, um, I don't know, look it up on Wikipedia, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, our younger listeners probably don't even know who Dragon, what Dragon Lance is. So. Well, perhaps if they're listening to this podcast, they'll deduce that there is a dragon and a lance involved yes, at some point. basically all you need to know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're pretty much set, really. Uh, yeah. Set in the world of Kryn, uh, Evil Queen of Dragons, not yeah. Tiamat. Evil Queen of Dragons, definitely not Tiamat, even though yeah. she looks and sounds exactly the same as Tiamat. Yeah. It's like yeah. Tiamat, but pronounced differently. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and her name also begins with a T. Fun fact, actually, uh, Tarxis, Queen of Dragons, actually has like a tiny mustache and all of the five dragon heads. Ah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, th- I, th- I thought she was just Tiamat wearing a different hat. Well, five different hats. <laughs> she would have gotten away from it if it weren't for you meddling <laughs> kids. <laughs> yeah. Precisely. Yeah. I, I, look, Paul... Spoilers, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are you telling me that Tiamat doesn't win in the Dragonlance Chronicles? <laughs> I can say without fear of successful contradiction that Tiamat does not win in the Dragonlance Chronicles. <laughs> God, spoilers. 
that amazing. Largely due to not appearing. I feel like I'm derailing this news segment. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. It's how we like it. It's like, you know, you're staying on topic. <laughs> mm. Well, yeah. that's the Dragon Announce news. We don't really know anything more than that. And I guess we'll yes. find out over the coming weeks and months. But the first book looks like it's coming out in July. I, I'm going to be buying it. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, I, I really enjoyed Dragon Log. Shall we move on to um, this week's Unearthed Arcana from Wizards of the Coast? Yes, we should. Which is really interesting. It's very themed. I so like it. it's, yeah, so it's gothic themed. Yeah, go on then. Well, it's got the word gothic in the title. So it that's... does have the word gothic in the title. Yes. So yes. despite what I think the word means and what evidently they think it means, then yeah, it's definitely got the word gothic in the title. Well, there. Um, take on the word gothic is that it includes three races slash lineages they're using both words in this document yes uh, and they are the dampir which is like mm-hmm. a half vampire yes uh, so the, far. But, but it's what happens the, when you pour water on them <laughs> yes right sorry <laughs> I don't know I'm just making terrible jokes all day so but just not too much water otherwise it would be a, a wet pier which is entirely different indeed yeah you know, also <laughs> I'm not sure you're taking this seriously Russ no <laughs> <laughs> there's the reborn yeah which yep. is a character that's been brought back to life in some manner and is importantly very distinct from the revenant mm-hmm. and then finally we've got the hexblood yes which is a character that has made some kind of pact with a hag or has some kind of relationship or some kind of history with a hag yes so that's the three lineages or races but that's not really the big news I don't think oh what then big do you think is the big news Mm-hmm. Is their declaration on how race is going to be handled in future D&D books. And it goes further than Tasha's did. Mm. So what, they, what they're saying is that all race options from now on, mm-hmm. including the ones in this article and in all future D&D books, mm-hmm. are not going to have ability score increases. Mm. Like the ability score modifiers for races are going away permanently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're also not going to have a language. Mm-hmm. They're not going to have alignment. Or yeah. anything else that's purely cultural. Good. I, mm-hmm. I think that's a step in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. almost like someone's done that before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does seem very familiar. <laughs> I guess I if we thought it wasn't work. a step in the right direction, that wouldn't be. That wouldn't yeah, be. yeah. yeah. Um, so they say things like dark vision, breath weapons, or innate magical abilities. These stick with the race or, or, mm-hmm. or the lineage, as they're as they're saying. But yes. traits that, um, like language or weapon training or tool training or mm-hmm. things like that, those yeah. things are going to be things that you can pretty much just choose. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's uh, nice that it's less biologically determined. Mm. You've got the bit of a split. So I guess they'll be tying it into backgrounds or maybe you'll just get a free pick. I think it's going to be pretty much a free pick. It would make sense. Like if you like are training as a fighter... I would hope, and this is maybe just me being optimistic, that you'd be quite good at fighter things. Yeah, you could be a bad fighter. Yeah, that's, how, that's how some people like to play. Yeah, it's, it, it, I, mean, I mean, you don't have to. I mean, you can say, oh, I've got strength of eight, dexterity of eight. Truly, my time has come yeah. um, to miss everything. Well, it's interesting. It's a different approach to what we're taking in level up. Yeah. If they're going with the um, free pick, whereas we have split culture and heritage yes and background but we are listing a selection of like 60 odd cultures mm. you can choose from and they mm. contain the languages and they contain the you know proficiency tools and the yeah the cultural stuff 
at Nexium versus heritages and cultures. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. Uh, so it's set. it sounds like it might be a little more freeform than what we're strictly going with. Mm-hmm. But we'll have to wait and see, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> And of course, it uh, it uh, caused the usual people on the internet to get very, very angry. Yes, yes. The people about the the people for whom the game, where its big selling point is, you can do absolutely everything, are very upset that you can do things now. Um, anyway, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, yes. Yeah, so a game of fantasy and imagination um, has more freedom. Anyway, mm. sorry, we 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 become distracted. I'm not appreciating their frame of reference properly. That's definitely yeah. my problem. Well, should we move on with the news then? We should. We? we should. Yeah. All right then. What else have we got? Uh, do you, are, you, are you aware of any exciting indie projects that people are like getting out on the slide? I, I know of one. I launched another Kickstarter. You did? Yes. Yeah. Uh, all subclasses and so forth. A Ooh. dozen subclasses. Yeah. Well, it's not but a it's dozen. actually 14 subclasses. So exactly. the title's slightly deceptive. Yeah. You get two bonus ones in there. I suppose there will be some people on the internet who are mad because they were promised 12. And got 14 Well, they instead. are welcome to remove two pages from the book. As well. <laughs> <laughs> if that bothers them. <laughs> so this is a whole bunch of subclasses or archetypes. So mm-hmm. we've got like the dual-wielding Tempest Ranger. Mm-hmm. If you want to play a Drizzt, I guess. And who doesn't want to do that? Who doesn't want to play a Drizzt? Yep. Yeah. Uh, there's some Warlock patrons like the Sea Lord and the Seducer. Um, there's the Planar Explorer, which is a Ranger archetype. There's the mm-hmm. Pugilist or the Fierce Pugilist. Yes. That's, uh, that's much easier. Yeah. yeah. There's some new feats. Uh, there's a fighting styles like Blade Song, Ooh. which is quite exciting. And I think quite a lot of people are interested in that. Is and it? a fighting style called Fisticuffs. Okay. That makes sense. You've got a Pugilist. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, so I can see it working. So like, it's not just fourteen subclasses. There's a bunch of fighting styles. There's a bunch of spells. There's some feats and there's some warlock invocations too. Mm. And is that coming from in part Insider? Yes. Yeah. So it's another one of these mini quick starters. So it's only going to be there for another ten days. I want to say. Mm, no. Mm. It launched on Tuesday and it's yes. two weeks long. So about ten days. Yes. Left. And it's doing very well. Yeah. Very mm. pleased with it. Yeah. In every edition, I think I've tried to make a. Uh, a Marquis of Queensberry fighter, and it generally hasn't worked. Mm. I think I hope that our adept class in Level Up will be able to do that now, that we've kind of uh, divorced the cultural element of the monk, yes. and we're moving that into options right. instead. I'm hoping yeah, we can so do that now. By changing the monk to the adept, we're hoping to remove the like kung fu aspects of it, while still keeping the, this is the person that punches people to death. Yeah, I mean, there are still Kung Fu aspects, but you have to yeah. choose the Kung Fu aspects. Yeah. Right. Which you, can is, choose something. You, you can choose like a pit fighter or a pugilist or whatever instead. Yeah. Which uh, to I'm me is the, mm. uh, the best way to do it because you don't want mm. to just say, we're getting rid of anything with a non-European frame of reference. But mm-hmm. you also want to say, there are also other people who are good at punching. Um, mm. You know, where's my punching? Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, the adept hasn't gone out for playtest yet, so it's. Oh, has it? No, it hasn't, has it? I can't no, remember what we've playtested or what we haven't now. Another warlord went out last Fighter, week. Berserker, warlord, as you say, sorcerer, and two versions of Ranger, as I recall. I think there's another one as well. I feel like there's another one. Rogue. The rogue. Yes, yes of rogue. course. Paul's rogue. Of course. Yeah. Sorry, Paul. 
<laughs> uh, and the Warlord version 2 went out this morning, actually. Oh. Based on... Fantastic. Because the Warlord and the Ranger were two that got two playtest slots allocated to mm. them. Mm-hmm. Because they're bigger bigger changes to core than any of the other classes. Mm. So the Warlord is a brand new class, and the Ranger mm. was a bigger rewrite than any of the other classes are. So they got mm. two playtest slots. So the second Warlord went out today, which mm. it didn't have that much change, just because it scored pretty well. Mm-hmm. There were nice. that's great. There were pro- there were problems with it, mm. which people you know flagged up, but those problems were fixable. Yeah. Uh, but overall, it it scored pretty well. Mm. Nice. Look so the second it. versions out there. Yeah. Uh, right. Let's have a look. Come on. There's got to be some more news. There's got to be. Yes, Paul. I think you had something. Perhaps. Uh, you know, I didn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, no, I was thinking you did. Then. Yeah. I think I just <laughs> raised my hand to 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 deceive you. <laughs> well, oh, there's a playtest of a character generator for the Awfully Cheerful engine. Oh, yes. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, so it's a sort of early draft of the character generator. It's like in beta and um, the person making it is still working on it. But basically you can whip through it in like under a minute. You can make a oh, character yeah, yeah. with this because it's quite a simple system. And you can just whip up and you can hit buttons to make you just choose things randomly mm. as well if you can't be bothered to choose. So you can whip up a character for the Awfully Cheerful ja- uh, engine on that. Yes. Uh, what else have we got news-wise? This is Russ's like, story-driven engine for, to enable you to basically quick-start a role-playing game at a convention or something while you're like just between, ta- just between games. Yeah, yeah. Which isn't, which isn't out yet. It's not, it's not out yet. Okay. No, but I, no. I thought I've seen the comic book size rule copies, but it's I've got a copy of it. Yeah. You got a copy of it. Oh. Yeah. I have a copy of it, but I am the only person that has. Oh, right. Here's the news. Yes. Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous video game beta begins mm. on February the 2nd. Nice. So it includes three completed chapters of gameplay. Mm hmm. And it's going to be previewed during a live stream on February the 1st on the Owlcat Games Twitch and YouTube channels. Okay. I think they make first edition video games, Pathfinder video games, not second mm. edition, if I recall. The, the Kingmaker one they did before was the first mm. edition one, wasn't it? Yes, that's right. I'm still not entirely sure why. <sighs> why, first edition? Yeah. Oh. I don't know that the lead time to make a video game is so big. Mm. That might be. That might just be it. Yeah. But I mean, like Pathfinder Second Edition has been out what two years now? Wow. I guess yeah. It, but it was like 2019 it came out. I thought. Is it? Mm. Uh, released first of August 2019. Okay. Well, that was super quick. We covered the news in under half an hour. That is pretty quick. And let's not forget the good ten minutes of that was us um, riffing. That's true. That's true. Yeah. It's time to play our favourite game. It's time to play the game. Our favourite game in all the world. Guess the Kickstarter from just the name. Okay then, shall we move on and play our favourite game in all the world? The game where I read out the name of a Kickstarter and you try and guess what it is from just the name. Yeah, sounds Let's good. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> so, Peter, you've now played this game 135 times, I want to say? Uh, less than that, but a fair, in that fair amount. Time. Yeah, yeah. Whereas this is this is Paul's first time. Oh, that means so. Peter is just out of beginner's luck. I have you just where I want you. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I will point out that our favorite game in all the world, where you read out the name of a Kickstarter, and I guess it from just the name alone, also shares the same topological space as Connect Four. Okay. Yeah. Because Connect Four it. also has 
all the rules in the title as well. <laughs> oh, I <laughs> see. <laughs> I see. Right. I got you. I got you. Well, actually, oh, yeah. no. Technically, Connect Four would have to be called Drop Coloured Tokens into Slots at the Top of a Grid and Try and Form a Line of Four Similarly Coloured Tokens. And this is why we don't let you name things for us. It's a known issue. <laughs> so, Peter, are you ready to go first? Uh, I was born ready to go first. Okay. In fact, I so was actually born first in my family, so that got that going. So, through. this yeah. is one of those ones with a colon and then an <sighs> explanation. I'm just okay. going to give you as far as the colon, as usual. What is Dungeon Bitches? Except the I is a asterisk. Um, alas, I am already familiar with this product. Oh, in that case, we'll have to move on then. Yes. I mean, I think it's worthwhile to talk, talk about, about. It. Yeah. Um, I believe it is by Emily, Emily Allen or one of their co-creators on the OSR scene. And it is all about people who are queer on or who live on the outside, uh, finding family and unity, um, in the, in the dungeons, which turn out to be the safer places where you can hang out with people and really discover your identity. So do you know what the subtitle of it is? I can't remember what the subtitle is. A game in yeah. which disaster lesbians get f***ed up in dungeons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that tells you everything you need to know, I guess. I mean, it's a good subtitle. What can I say? Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, that doesn't count as a valid entry for our favourite game in all the world because you already knew it. And yeah, it only works if you don't know what the product is. Uh. Which is a shame. Yeah. So in that case, we're going to have to move on. What is our shores? Our shores? Our shores. Could you, oh, you spell are. that for me? Okay, yeah. yeah. Oh, you are. Our <laughs> shores, as in beach shore, as in coastal shore. Hmm. Okay. Um, this feels like a fantasy role-playing game that is touching upon, like, maybe the... Uh, maybe more of a British experience of role playing, as in it's like based around being on an island, um, and like protecting your culture. So it's sort of going from that sort of isolationist point of view. And I think it will probably be, be some sort of fifth edition conversion. That's, that's my guess. There's not, it's, it's not really saying much else to me. So. It is very, very, very much not that. Okay, excellent. <laughs> I, I didn't like that product I was talking about. I don't know if it came across. <laughs> I was like, that doesn't sound good. So what's the much better idea that they have? <laughs> Are you familiar with RPGC? As in one word, RPGSEA in capitals. Uh, Southeast Asian. Yes. Um, like I wouldn't say intimately familiar with, but I've really seen, it, seen, seen it around, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so RPGC stands for Role Playing Game Southeast Asia. Yeah. And uh, this is kind of, I want to say, a movement? Not a movement, but it's, it's people who... Uh, you can call it a movement get, if you like. It's like uh, yeah. people are, all going in the same direction. That's pretty much the yeah. definition okay. of movement. Okay. Yeah. So they created an anthology of games, Ooh. all based around sort of Southeast Asia and the, the people involved come from Southeast Asia. Uh, uh, so this anthology of games is from all different systems... From original systems to Ooh. Powered by the Apocalypse to Forge in the Dark. Ooh. So, yeah, a proper yeah. anthology, sort of eclectic anthology. Mm. Uh, some of the games, there's um, uh, Navathem's End, where you play the agents of a tower mm -hmm. trying to stop the apocalypse. Ooh. There's uh, 
Capitalities? Capitalites? Capitalites. A slice of life RPG that's diceless and gemless. Uh, is hook is kind of like techno mystic mecha inspired by Filipino mythology. Wow. That does sound more interesting than the uh, sort of the uh, uh, mm. the sceptered shore, the sceptered yes, isle. It absolutely yeah. does. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm, I'm all about this. This sounds a lot better. So yeah. yeah, that's a phrase, mm. isn't it? Techno mystic mecha inspired by Filipino mythology. That's yeah, that, fascinating. That that phrase just got my money. Yeah, yeah. For this thing, please continue. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so that's what that is. Um, so, yeah, it's $35 to get the PDF. But it's an anthology, including it is an anthology, yeah. three separate games that you mentioned already. Yeah, there's yeah. a whole bunch of them in there. Yeah. And it ends on Thursday, February the 18th. So you've got quite a while, but three weeks, I think that is, from now. Uh, two, really, but yeah. So, unfortunately, Peter, not only can I give you no points, but because your idea of a game was so bad, I've got to give you minus 100 points. <laughs> That's fine. I I might have if you'd asked me, I might have gotten minus two hundred points. <laughs> well, Paul, there's everything to play for. <laughs> there's everything to play for. And, uh, it, it is now your turn. So let's, let's, let's give it a try, right. shall we? Okay, then. Are you ready, Pete? Uh, Peter? You're not Peter. You're Paul. Uh, I, yeah. I am ready, oh, by and the, I, by am, the way, I am Peter. <laughs> I, I just like to say there should be no robbing me to pay this guy. Just no. saying that Absolutely right not. now. And yeah. Mary is not. In oh wait a minute! That that is how I'm planning to pay him for his work on Level Up. <laughs> oh uh, well, that's torture. Oh my after the after uh, we start talking, can you just can you just give me your credit card details, Peter? <laughs> oh yeah, sure. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> right, Paul, not Peter. Paul, what is End Times? Okay, so uh, my first guess is it's an American game about the uh, year 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Uh, I guess that name. joke was just lying there waiting for someone to make. <laughs> yes. Okay, a Kickstarter called End Times. Who would do that now? Um, maybe they started it in 2019. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so well, I'm going to say it's a sci-fi... Uh, non D and D, um, standalone game system, uh, cyberpunk, uh, and uh, it's also got uh, ghosts, vampires, and romance just to make things exciting. There's no real basis for that guess. I mean, just what there might be ghosts, and vampires, and romance in it. I I couldn't say for sure that there aren't, but they're not in the description. <laughs> There must be romance in it. There's romance in everything, surely. But what End Times is, is a tabletop role-playing game mm-hmm. where there's an apocalypse coming and you're mm-hmm. a time traveler and your job mm-hmm. is to stop it. Okay. Uh, so nice. you can switch consciousness with yourself from 10 years in the past or 10 years in the future and you're haunted by visions of this coming apocalypse and by like desperate warnings from your future self. And your job is to prevent the apocalypse and save the human race. All right. So it's a bit like if Kevin Culp's uh, Time Watch goes horribly wrong. Yeah. I did, I did quite like Time Watch. I, uh, I, only, I only got to play it, I think, once, maybe twice. Yeah, twice I've played Time Watch. But it's good. It's a good fun game. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, End Times, it's powered by two different game systems. One is powered by the apocalypse. And the other is Orc. 
which is apparently a classic medium crunchy simulationist rule system. Huh. I'm I not personally familiar with it, it, but uh, no. But this is apparently the second version of it. Yeah. I like I like I love the concept of this game. It's quite high concept, but I like it a lot. So the apocalypse itself, um, it has allies in this time, people who want the apocalypse to come true and will be working against you to bring about the apocalypse. And it's got hunters that are sent back from the future to try and kill you to stop you preventing the, uh, the apocalypse. And uh, in the backstory, throughout the 20th century, several previous apocalypses... Apocalypses? Or was it Apocalypse I? Apocalypse O, I believe is the Apocalypse O. That's, yeah. that's an ice cream, isn't it? <laughs> That's a calypso. They're very different. <laughs> it's an entirely different thing. Uh, have already, uh, several previous apocalypso I is have been previously prevented by, uh, by time travelers. Nice. So this, uh, is kind of a tradition of preventing apocalypse I. So no oh. pressure. No yeah. pressure. No pressure. So, uh, unfortunately, Paul, um, I can't give you any points either. You didn't do as badly as Peter did, though. You didn't <laughs> come won, up with a terrible. And, and, <laughs> and you, and you wanted to include romance and you, and, you know, nobody can lose points for wanting to include romance. Well, so, I, uh, I, I'm humbled, uh, by, by my <laughs> victory. Uh, I'd like to uh, thank my family. <clears throat> You know this goes for well, two rounds, right? There's, there's, a, there's another two what? to go yet. No, <laughs> I'm ahead. So, yes, yeah, Paul, you're currently in the lead. Zero to minus 100, I believe, is the current score. So, yep. Peter, are you ready for your second one? Yeah, absolutely. Hit me. I can't give you Pathfinder for Savage Worlds. I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> Even I, though I it's would, on the list. I probably have to accuse myself for actually knowing what that is. Yeah. 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 It would be a little easy. What is instead... Mm. Hmm. Okay. Epic Legacy Tome of Titans. Oh, uh, that sounds like a certain product that Ian World has brought out quite recently. Um, yeah, uh, I am expecting Titans, like absolute giants uh, in the legendary and mythical senses. And I'm expecting, like, you know, not, not just physically big, but like, you know, they're just, they're just grander sort of scale of people, villains, um, monsters, the whole nine yards. And it's basically sort of a bestry, including, yeah, uh, all sorts of NPCs and monsters to liven up your campaign. Yeah, pretty much. So yeah, DD fifth edition, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of in the vein of like, uh, deities and demigods and it's got like, gods mm. as enemies and allies like Asmodeus Cthulhu the mother of spiders the dark dragon queen the angel of death I gotta say if Asmodeus is on your side you might have to ask our, our, are, are you on the right side so yeah I mean it pretty much sounds like you got that correct Peter well done Ooh. I'll give you back your 100 points you're now on zero Woo-hoo. well done which means, for the last one, all Paul has to do now is score points. one or more points to win. Yeah, I, I, I have every faith in Paul's ability to score positive points. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no pressure. So what? this one is called... <laughs> Are you psyching me out, Peter? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> one point. One point to win. This is called <laughs> Incredible Creatures. RPG Kickstarter Incredible Creatures um, Okay I'm just going to uh, uh, say that it is uh, it's an expansion for Bunnies and Burrows 
<laughs> That's your answer, is it? That is my answer. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> finally, well, like- finally, I can be a stoat or uh, maybe a fox. Uh, you know, uh, one has well, always we, wanted I, to. I feel You're like already that game exists. Fox. Actually. We already know this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so but, what this is is it's a fifth edition book of monsters, basically. Uh, uh, no. The as as I'm sure you did guess, but the uh, twist on this one is <laughs> these are all inspired by artwork. So the art came first, oh. and then the monster stats came later. Interesting. Was it? Is it fantasy artwork or is it like... Yeah, yeah. So a group of artists were just told mm. to sort of let loose and bring creatures from their imaginations to life. Mm. They handed in the artwork and then the monsters were written based around the art that was that was submitted. Right. That is the end of our favourite game in all the world. And it's a dead heat. It's a draw. Oh. <laughs> well, I would have it no other way. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's, that's very gracious of you. Yeah. So well done to both of you, I guess. Congratulations to both of you. You'll have to share the trophy this week. Everyone loves so, ties. Yeah. That's so the trophy true. is normally a, uh, it's a, it's a metaphorical trophy and it's a smug sense of self-satisfaction. So because oh. you have to share it, one of you gets to be smug and the other one gets to be self-satisfied. Well, but you know what, you Peter? I've, I've already got that. So you can have this one. Oh, okay. Thank you. Okay. So <laughs> I, I guess we'll just have to be both be smug and self-satisfied at rest for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> marvellous, marvellous. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hello, is that IT support? Yes, this is IT support. What can I do for you? Good, good. I I have a problem with my magic mirror. Ah, uh, is that the uh, the Fair Mirror Two Thousand? Yes, that's the one. It's not working properly. Have you tried turning it off and on again? Well, I closed the little curtain and then opened it again. Ah, fine, fine. So, what seems to be the problem? Well. I got it this morning, as I always do. Ah, good start, good start. I walked over to my magic mirror, like I do every morning. Right, right, so? Well, as is my habit, I asked it. Yes? Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? You know, it doesn't have to rhyme, right? Yes, yes, I, I, I enjoy the whimsy. So, anyway... Yes, yes. What's the problem you're experiencing? Well, it showed me an image of a young lady. And? And I'm not a young lady. Right. So, so to clarify, when you asked who is the fairest of them all, you were not expecting to see the image of a young lady. Yes, that's correct. And in fact, you were expecting the mirror to show you an image of yourself. As it has done every morning for the last 80 years. 80 years. Yes, it's very reliable. I walk up to the mirror and I ask it, mirror, mirror, on the wall. Who's the fairest of the wall? Yeah, yeah, I get it. And every morning for the last 80 years, it has shown my own reflection back to me. Right. And this morning, it instead showed the reflection of a young lady instead. Sterling, you've grasped the problem exactly. Right, right. So, have you done anything different with it in the last day? 
Well, no, no, not really that I can think of. I mean, I, I replaced the batteries. The batteries? This is the first time you've replaced the batteries? Yes, well, I thought it was about time. Are you aware that the Fairmirror 2000's remote divination function only operates while the device is powered on? Oh, yes, of course. And that without power, the uh, Fairmirror 2000 functions merely as a regular error? Uh, yes, of course, I, I knew that. And so for the last 80 years, you've been looking into the mirror, speaking your little rhyme and just seeing your reflection looking back at you. Yes. Like a regular mirror. Yes. And now, after 80 years, you've replaced the batteries. Yes. Do you see where I'm going with this? Are you saying I'm not the fairest of them all? This podcast malarkey is quite good fun. True. We do get to talk to interesting people. They are very interesting, and we've had all sorts. Big names, old and new. But how do we know who to talk to? Well, sometimes our patrons give us suggestions. What, so we try and get the people they want us to talk to on? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a pretty sweet deal. Yeah, and obviously they get the fullest version of the podcast. The fullest? They do? Yeah, yeah, you know, all the funny stories and random jokes and digressions. Really? People are missing out on those? Well, they're not news, are they? Oh, come on, but that's some of my favourite bits. How can you avoid missing out? Ah, uh, well, that's easy. Uh, so just become a perfectly proper podcast patron. Perfectly proper podcast patron? What? How? Well, you head along to patreon.com slash morris and subscribe there. Oh, well, how much does that cost? $50 a month? You'd think. I mean, it's certainly worth $50 a month, but oh, yeah. uh, just a dollar. Is it? Mate, that's like... 25 cents an episode. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Ah. Patreon.com.morris. M-O-R-R-U-S. M-O-R-R-U-S. Cheers. I'll check that out. Right. Let's get on. Let's, let's talk about monsters. Let's talk about stats. Let's talk about blog of holding. Let's talk about Paul... Let's talk numbers and statistics. That <laughs> okay. it seems so exciting. I'm really this I'm is really this jazzed. is going to be the nerdiest episode of our podcast <laughs> ever. I think uh, uh, I, I probably God, won't. Heavy I probably actually won't do math uh, live. So <laughs> Thank you. But, but, but Paul, you've got that... a, you've got a chalkboard behind you. <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> You're standing there. <laughs> I quickly spin around my chalkboard and push it out of frame. Ooh, Alexa, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, okay. Uh, so, I mean, what 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 got you into like role playing games? Was it was it the maths? Did the maths call you in? Uh, no, the monsters. I think. Yeah. Um, uh, sort of the this. Same story as a lot of people uh, my age, you know, uh, kids at school said, you got to try out this game. It's mildly satanic. And I said, all right, here we go. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's just a lot of fun to, uh, to, to make up creatures and, and then beat them up. <laughs> and I didn't get into the math part until I actually uh, learned math and had, had tools to do so. But hmm. I think basically since, um, you know, for the past 20 years or so, I've been very interested in 
sort of behind the curtain how the rules got written, what they're trying, to, what they're intending to to say. Every set of rules makes a sort of a, a assumptions about the the fantasy world, mm-hmm. and so yes. even the underpinning math influences the the fantasy and the um, the sort of reality that's in your heads. So yeah. you know, can can a can a stone giant kill you? Can mm. you get through a fight unscathed and then you're fine, or do you have lingering wounds? It all it all tells. Yeah. It's part of the story. Yeah. And the interesting a, thing yeah. I think about it is that a lot of the times, as a creator of the rules, you don't really know what you're creating until it's out there. Mm. Mm. It uh, feels like you're reverse engineering exactly like yeah. sort of the existing products to say, okay, well this is this is this is what it's coming out with. What were the assumptions that went into making this? Right. And how are they mm. different? Uh, what were they intending to do versus yes. what uh, did we actually get? And it's. So, uh, so do you have any kind of like broad takeaways without getting too detailed? But it's like broad takeaways of, you know, what when, when you reverse engineered these things and, and, and delved into the numbers, what you actually found? I can talk a little bit about uh, one of the things that I've done in my blog recently is mm. I've talked about treasure, uh, reverse engineering fifth edition treasure. Yeah. Uh, and what I found was that you can tell a lot about what the intent was behind the D&D world based on the random magic items tables. Mm. Because they've, they've thought, you know, the, when, when they're designing these tables, they thought about how frequently they want certain items to appear, when in your career they appear, based mm-hmm. on which table they're on, you know, magic item table I, and all these things which seem... which look and read like tax forms are all <laughs> intending to tell a story. Yeah. So, uh, let's see. Peter, I got a quiz question for you. Yeah. Let's say that you were going to run a fifth edition game from level one to 20. Crikey. And you were okay. going to use the random magic item uh, allocation tables. You know, every time you you uh, defeated monsters, you would roll up random treasure. Okay. How many magic arrows do you think you would find in the course of your career? Whew. About twenty, varying three. types. Three, you'd find okay. three. So right. less than a quibble. <laughs> right? Yeah, oh. a tiny amount. So is this just random? Did they not really think through the numbers, or are they saying we're not really interested in magic arrows? We're putting them in because they're in previous editions, mm-hmm. but we think they're boring. I, th- um, I think everything else I've seen is definitely taking me towards the they think they're really boring. Because there's right. no requirement for a magic arrow. Zero zip nada. Right. Like, I mean, well, the problem with yeah. magic arrows is it's a one-use item. It gives you yes. a plus one, maybe. So it's got a 95% chance of doing nothing. I right. mean, yeah. I, I've been using arrows of dragon slaying in Rise of Tiamat, but that was very specifically a plot MacGuffin that right. I was being given to say, well, you could use this to hit dragons harder. I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. And an arrow yeah. of dragon slaying is interesting. I think it has yeah. story weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's a plus one arrow. It's just kind of a legacy item that I guess has right. to be in there because it's D&D. You can't oh, really yeah. not have them, but they right. clearly haven't put too much weight on them. Well, right. if you find uh, yeah. three of them by randomly rolling, then yeah. Yeah, that's... <laughs> right, exactly. You find one of each, a plus one, a plus two, yeah, and a right. plus three arrow. Yeah. So what about sort of monsters? Because you've like delved into monsters as well and things like challenge ratings, which I think quite a lot of people often complain about D&D challenge ratings and how for some monsters mm. they don't feel right. And I know that right. you've recalculated some challenge ratings of some monsters. Oh, yeah. Like, have you looked at, like, the Shade? Because that's a famous one. Um, oh, the, for, the, the Shadow? 
the shadow that must be the one I'm thinking of is this yeah. one where when it hits you it deducts from your strength score right so if you because have that's a, got death if you spiral strength all over it exactly yeah, yeah or even if you haven't right even if you haven't done strength it you presumably you're a high strength character <laughs> if you've done strength or you haven't if you haven't it's because you're using that to hit someone and if right. that starts going down that is a big problem mm. yeah I play tested an adventure in which um I think 10th level characters fought maybe a dragon and a room full of maybe 20 shadows. Mm. And that sounds good on paper because you say, well, according to the challenge rating, if I add this up and use this formula, I should be able to fight 20 shadows. And in fact, if you <laughs> kill them all with an area of effect spell immediately, you're fine. Um, but otherwise, you're unlike you know, hit points, really bad time. You don't, yeah. you don't get more strength as you level up. So you're. Yeah you're still in a great deal of danger from that encounter. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the things that um, challenge rating can't really capture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the purpose of challenge rating is to give the DM or GM or Narrator. game runner a way to uh, guess or um, It's supposed predict. to be help you balance encounters, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Either, either things, balance – right. Hmm. Yeah, either balance an encounter so you can provide a challenging encounter or at least predict what's going to happen. Say, yeah. is this going to – well, you know, the the PCs just walked into the castle and insulted the king. This yeah. is not mm -hmm. going to be a balanced encounter. They're going to lose, hmm. but how badly are they going to lose? What's going to happen? And so, uh, that can help you a lot with how much time do I have to prepare on them being captured and having to perform a, a service for the king? Or is this just going to be a cakewalk for them? Mm. Uh, so, it is a, a useful tool. However, the, the very nature of D&D &D monsters, because they are mm -hmm. so exceptions-based, every monster has a – or most monsters have something that they can do that no other monster can do. You can't really – factor all that in, especially when you consider that every there's a different number of characters in every party. They're all built differently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some people are interested in making powerful characters and some aren't. Mm -hmm. So, a lot of it's just a guessing game. Mm -hmm. uh, and all we can do is make it a little more precise and fumble in, in the dark towards more predictability than yeah. we had before. Yeah. So how much would you say like having to play test these monsters sort of weighs into that as opposed to looking at the stats and somehow being able to scientifically calculate an appropriate figure? Uh, right. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, both are involved. And I think when they were making fifth edition, they were using uh, mathematical models. I know mm. that they had uh, spreadsheets and formulas that they were using for calculating these things that I understand are very complicated. And of course, they did a ton of play testing, public play testing. And uh, for the most part, their uh, their numbers are are pretty good. But the problem is there are some outliers, which are sort of proud nails that uh, trip people up, and it's unavoidable because they they put out a book of three hundred and fifty monsters, mm. and you're not going to get them all right. Yeah. So, how, so you've how got many, your shadows. How many would you say? I think they got about ninety percent of them right. Yeah. You know, some are too high, some are too low, uh, and the real problem is what ones are the ones like you mentioned, Peter, like like shadows, mm. like troglodytes, mm. which are much more dangerous than than you'd expect them to be. And so, if you're a first time dungeon master, you could just say, "Well, uh, I use this formula, and this should be a, a challenging fight, and it's not fun. Mm. Everybody is wiped out in round one." Well, yeah, because famously, had no chance. famously there is a CR guide within the. Uh, Dungeon Master's Guide, and quite quickly on you find that uh, it seems to, it it's quite confusing to use because mm -hmm. it says 
it's all based on calculating XP and like you add a multiplier to the XP values to work out how challenging your encounter is going to be. That's different from the actual XP of the encounter, I think. And that's, yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing in the half. Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah. And that does feel a bit like taxes. And mm. when they, um, when they published Xanathar's guide, they came out with a different and, and better uh, encounter guide. <sighs> I think it's still a bit skewed towards being too hard at level one. Mm. Uh, level one is incredibly dangerous. It's swingy. That's the problem. It is swingy. Yeah. yeah. And um, it's probably the worst level to be springy because it's uh, mm. swingy, <laughs> because mm. that's the one where you invite your friends who have never played Dungeons and Dragons over mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and say, you want to do this thing? Let's, let's spend an hour and a half coming up with backstories and oh, learning yeah. rules and then get slaughtered by troglodytes. Yeah, in the first round of the first fight. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So I think if any level should be forgiving, uh, mm. it should be level one. And then uh, towards level, above level 11, it becomes extremely hard to challenge mm. characters with combat. Uh, yes. Especially if you stick to the um, encounter rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one thing that we're trying to do... Uh, and I will say at this point that there are people screaming at the thing that you're actually meant to do it over... You're meant to use six medium encounters over the course of an adventuring day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm. And I think that that helps. And it's not a bad way to do things. Mm. It's To me, though, it's not the only type of story that I want to tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is pretty limiting having to say, we have to do things this way, which sort of implies a certain kind of dungeon structure. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Because you can have six encounters per day, but if someone are social and you don't expend any resources, right? Then yeah. you you actually need to put some more fights in. And having right. six medium fights per day that that's going. I mean, I I quite enjoy the fighting aspect of D anD D, but that sounds incredibly tedious to me. Yeah, I mean, part yeah. of that is probably so because slow. the non combat pillars aren't fleshed out enough to use resources. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas if they did use resources, then it, that that particular aspect would work a bit more, wouldn't it? Work a bit better, I think. Yeah, right. Then you yeah. could have six of a variety of your. You exactly. could pick some from combat. You could pick some from social, some from uh, exploration, and having those consumer resources, and then suddenly it's like, okay, every time something happens, you're either choosing. You're, you're basically taking a gamble. You're either saying, I think we can get through this on solid skill checks alone. Which would be the equivalent of saying mm-hmm. we're in a fight, can't be bothered casting spells. We're going to save them from later, and having the non, uh, having the the martial characters pick up the slack. Or you're saying, well, you know, I don't fancy our chances. I will cast a spell and resolve this a lot quicker. Mm. Is that right. is that a fair? Is that are, are we all broadly agreed that seems yeah, to be the so. thinking? Yeah. Yeah. So this co- this sort of monster manual on a business card thing then. Which is one one of the one of the things you're known for on your blog, which is uh, blogofholding.com. For those who haven't been following along, um, what what have you done there? You've got a business card, or a business card size. So what I did there, of course, involved um, taking all the monster manual monsters, putting all their statistics into spreadsheets, doing statistical analysis, uh, making graphs. And if you go to Blog of Holding, you'll find more graphs than you care to see. <laughs> unless you really every, like graphs in which case you, in <laughs> which case uh, um, I would be pleased to hear from you <laughs> which basically uh, show the linear progression of monsters uh, armor class and hit points uh, as their challenge rating increase uh, and it's it's very clear that the 5th edition designers intended there to be a, a, 
a fairly um, consistent progression of these mm-hmm. statistics. So I sort of distilled that down into a couple of formulas, which fit on a small piece of paper, maybe mm. business card size. <laughs> and also there's a, a bigger sort of easier to use uh, version, which fits on a page, which you can print out tape in the back of your monster manual. And once you've done that, you can make up monsters on the fly that are about the level of difficulty you want. Mm. You can say, uh, I want the party to fight two CR5 monsters. Mm. Uh, and then just you've got a suggested uh, number of hit points, the amount of damage it puts out per round, armor class, saving throws. And um, that's how I do a lot of my encounters. So you actually use this method in your own games? I, yeah, yeah, I do. Um, I'm a, a sort of a highly uh, I don't like to prepare yeah, me too. Uh, type of DN- <laughs> DM. Mm-hmm. Well, when I say don't like to prepare, I do mean I will put 40 hours into making a monster menu on a business card. But uh, <laughs> then once I've done that, that's a one-shot deal. And then from then on, I'm, I've done my preparation for mm. monsters for the rest of my life. <laughs> so would you? You just put any old skin you want on top of that, then. So you just exactly. Come up, you just take, like that that guy who was making the book based on um, uh, artists, right? You so, take yeah, and this, then you can just describe it however you like. Oh, this thing has four eyes and six legs and great big teeth. <laughs> exactly. This this thing has two elephant heads. So um, I'm going to say that when it hits you with its trunk, mm. uh, I'm mm-hmm. going to look up how much damage I think it should do. And I'm also going to say it throws you 30 feet, huh. you know, and then uh, this guy does – and he does 20 damage to someone else. I'm going to say he tramples you with his six legs. Yeah. yeah. So we, we kind of it mentioned sounds like earlier fourth that- edition was really influential on your that's, approach to monster design. That's what I was just about to say. Oh, sorry. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. You can certainly make that pop here. Don't mind me. (laughs) What he just said. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah, as I said, I did the same project for 4th edition. Mm. And also, I think that 4th edition was influential on the designers of 5th edition Mm. behind the scenes. Mm. Mm. It's uh, maybe not something that they advertise heavily, but I think the numerical underpinnings of 4th edition are there in the bones of 5th edition. Mm. Mm. Yeah, 4th edition, for those who don't know, basically you had a bunch of different uh, monster roles. So there was, mm. I, I can't remember them all now. So there was Striker, uh, Controllers, Controller. Mm. Uh, oh, well, the, the player roles were Striker, Controller, Defender. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, the monster ones were different, weren't they? So the monsters uh, were Brute. There was a Soldier. Soldier. That was sort of high armor class, mm. low damage. Uh, yeah. yeah, but the, the point is that each of these roles displayed a different yes. type of monster role in combat. Yes. And then basically, if you cross-index basically the monster role with the monster's challenge rating, or le- mm-hmm. I, used, I used level, I think, in uh, fourth edition, yeah. didn't it? Level. That would basically mm-hmm. give you the basic stats. So a fourth-level brute has these stats. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. 16th-level soldier has these stats. And then you could tweak them a little bit just to give it a bit of flavor and stuff. But that, you, that was the basic core of the, of the, of the, of the mm-hmm. maths behind right. a fourth-edition monster. Hmm. Well, uh, a dirty secret of 5th edition is that is still true. Mm. And 90% of the monsters uh, you'll find do about each round, they can put out damage equal to a third of their hit points. Right. Ah. Okay. Uh, so uh, the expectation is the battle will be about three rounds long. Mm. Uh-huh. And that's, that's really consistent, I have to say. <laughs> it's really, really consistent. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like the number of three round battles I've 
run over the past couple of years. It's yeah, like, well, well I remember fourth edition fights that went on for so much longer, and yes, they, they really did. did get tedious. Especially, well, basically, there was too many hit points flying around. Right. Yeah. Um, nobody could die really because everybody was just like every time someone died, someone from the other side of the battlefield would just click their fingers and they'd get up again. Healing surge. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, I this thing's about fourth edition. I really like. Oh yeah, I think absolutely. It's, it's a great tactical skirmish kind of system there. Mm. And uh, the combats are definitely more interesting than fifth edition ones, which I find can be a little bland. Yeah, there are. If you look at the giants in fifth edition, mm. if you look at say a fire giant, one nice thing in fourth edition is the fire giants had something to do with fire. Mm. Mm. And in fifth edition, they hit you with the sword. The sword's not even hot. <laughs> oh, they, oh, shocking! If uh, and a lot of times uh, I ran a, a, a fire giant encounter last night when I was playing Dungeons and Dragons, which is why this is on the top of my mind. Hmm. And my players came in saying, fire giants, let's use our cold spells on them. They're not actually weak to cold. Right. Mm. They are immune the to fire. They are immune to fire. That's it. That's what they yeah. got. Yeah. yeah. And so, they don't actually do anything except swing their sword twice. Yeah. It's kind of like that thing, you know, like sort of uh, the way the, the type of damage that monsters do tends to be similar to the type of damage that they're immune to, but also is linked often to the terrain they're in. So if you're in an Arctic right. terrain, you've got an awful <laughs> lot of monsters that do cold damage and are immune to cold damage, which basically right. means nothing can hurt each other. In, yeah. in your that's, what what that's do they true. eat? That is the question. <laughs> well, that's, that's why these Arctic areas are so heavily populated <laughs> yes, with monsters. Yeah. There's no... <laughs> <laughs> you can't you, yeah you just you you can't go more than oh. more than half a mile without fighting three giant furry white worms yeah yeah, yeah. a nuclear penguin or something <laughs> right well what happens is you've got the rumor hats it waits for things to bite it and then obviously they ignore the cold damage but they also take some fire damage from uh, it and that's what's getting it done. the rumor house uh, is the smart one so that's yeah. why that's why white dragons should do fire damage they should have fire yeah. breath weapons not icy breath weapons so because what, then what they mm-hmm. can kill all the other monsters <laughs> in the Arctic. So, so what I'm hearing is that a really smart red dragon will just paint itself white. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but the problem, and then when they will walk in, yeah, we've got cold resistance. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah but the problem is the red dragon isn't immune to cold damage like the like a no. native yeah. of, the, of they, the Arctic but, is. but they take fire damage into fight a cold to the fight of and the, the other fight the dragon. other monsters would leave it alone oh, that's a white dragon I'm not going to even bother <laughs> no. we're just going to just going to pass each other hey hey Bob and then <laughs> he turns around fire game over yeah. Yeah. so we can move on a little bit because you are um, you're working on the level up team oh great you just found out. <laughs> oh, thank you for. Hey. Uh, it, it's an honor. I accept. Uh, to clarify, you've been working on the level up team for some months now. <laughs> <laughs> but you're basically in charge of the monster book, the, right? The mm. monstrous menagerie, I think, is what we went with in the end, isn't it? Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm excited about this. Uh, it's our aim is to provide uh, the same. Uh, monsters as much as we can mm-hmm. and to have them provide the same amount of challenge as you expect. This may mean their challenge rating may change uh, so that you can better predict the amount of challenge they provide. But our goal is to provide backward compatibility. Mm-hmm. So if you're mm-hmm. running Curse of Strahd and it calls for some uh, vampire spawn to appear mm-hmm. and you use the Monstrous Menagerie, 
you'll mm-hmm. find the battle is not suddenly going to be much harder or easier mm. than you expect. Mm. But it will be more interesting. But it will be more interesting. And you will also have a better idea what the, the vampire spawn are doing. Yes. Yeah. So I think, Peter, you've seen some of these uh, designs and uh, mm. what you're referring to is that we're reintroducing something which has been in previous editions, which is a uh, combat strategy section for mm. for monsters, which tells you uh, this is the this is what it's probably going to do on the first round of combat if it's in melee. Mm. Here's what it does if it's if it can't reach you this turn. Here's when it runs away. Here's or surrenders. Uh, so there's some guidance behind besides just this fights until it dies yeah. all the time, which is mm-hmm. sort of a habit than what one can get into if uh, if one is not careful. Because there's yeah. also an element if you open up the monster and if it's the first time you've seen this monster before and you look at mm-hmm. the stat block and especially if it's a slightly more complex stat block mm-hmm. and suddenly you as the GM have to run that monster and possibly three yeah. other monsters as well. Oh, yeah. Right. To right. the same I mean, level of capability, I know it as well and its capabilities as well as each of those players know yeah. their own character that they've been running just one character for six months. You have no, no chance. Yeah. No. Well, uh, especially if you've got four paragraphs. I'm looking at you, Shambling Mound. Four <laughs> paragraphs of text to rage through, at the end of which you're still like, well, I don't know. It's right. only when you um, start getting into the nuts and bolts that you say, oh, actually, these things have a swim speed. I suppose to think right. about it. The best place to find them would be lurking in a bog or a lake or something uh, until someone foolishly comes near. Mm. Right. And I wonder mm. if I've ever gotten through a complex encounter without forgetting one monster power. Oh, oh almost yeah. certainly. It's, it's not Go so on. bad in 5e just because this particular Less game often. is a bit mm. more simple when it comes to monster stat blocks. But mm. if you go back to 3e or Pathfinder, without <laughs> a doubt, definitely. Right. They just had uh, so much stuff they could do. Right. And spell lists as well, which were. So yeah, let's talk about them. Okay, spell lists are another sticking point in uh, most editions of D anD. d If you uh, try to run a, let's say, the Lich, uh, the Lich has dozens of spells, uh, and as a DM, looking through and trying to decide what it's going to do this turn means, in theory, if you wanted to optimize the Lich, you'd probably browse through twenty different spells, and it would take maybe ten minutes to play your turn. Mm. In fact, you're not going to do that. I mean, that's you're assuming probably you just gonna, know what all those spells do. Right, exactly. So that's why you have to flip back and forth. You're, uh, mm. no, I'm not going to use this. Mm. It's a real pain uh, to to play a spellcasting uh, monster, especially because they're usually smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're playing them dumb because you don't really remember exactly what all these spells do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, one thing we're doing is... I'm, gl- I'm glad that's not just me. Right. Uh, so when we get to the Lich, we're going to say, let's be honest, this Lich is going to be lucky if it survives f- five rounds. Mm-hmm. So we're going to say maybe we're going to give this guy five or six different spell abilities, which we're going to um, write out in the stat block. Which is almost certainly definitely going to use. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this is his favorite one. This is the one he uses in this other circumstance. Mm. Uh, there may be a bunch of other spells he has. He probably scries and uh, uses a symbol of pain and who knows what other stuff he does. I'm not looking mm-hmm. at his but you don't stat need to know right that. now. You don't need to know that in combat, do right. you? That's, That's not combat stuff. Yeah. So we can note that he knows those spells. They're in his spell book and he's going to use them. But we don't want you having to wade through that stuff because combat is when 
six people are staring at you waiting for you to come up with what you're going to do mm. and we want to make it go as quickly as possible mm. so basically we turn the most commonly used combat spells into abilities fully explained abilities concise right. abilities in the stat block which are really really easy for the gm to immediately use and we basically just say yeah we have got a spell book and he's got all these spells if you really really need to know that Right. Um, but the, the pit fiend very well may use fireball. Yeah. So we're just going to put fire, fireball right in the, in the book. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a fourth edition kind of thing, isn't it? That's pretty much mm-hmm. what fourth edition did, change spells into, um, into monster abilities. Right. Yeah. I think it's a great idea. I think maybe one of the failings of fourth edition is it didn't also have that, uh, backup. Here's the stuff they do out of combat mm. section. I think that's important too, because the combat stat block is nice. But really, you almost want a non-combat stat block because you want these monsters to engage the characters in the other pillars of play. Mm-hmm. You want to know what they're doing to keep tabs on the characters, what they can do to charm people or you know uh, get information. Mm-hmm. Um, all these other things that they can do besides just fighting for 18 seconds mm. that make them interesting characters yeah. in the world. So one of my favorite things about what you're doing with these monsters is the signs of the monsters. So you've got a bunch of tables and the tables aren't necessarily the same tables for each monster. They're appropriate to the monster. Like with uh, demons, you might have a a random demon name, in case you need a demon's name, but you've got signs of the monster. So if you're traveling along and you somehow roll up an owlbear encounter, Mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean, oh, there's an owlbear in front of you, fight it. You could sort of say, oh, there's some owlbear droppings as your first sign, or there's some claw marks in, in a tree, uh, sort of like just above head height or, and, or something like right. that as the initial signs. And you can actually introduce the monster that way with a bit of trepidation that you're near its lair and there's signs of its presence. Right. I think this is one of, uh, a lot of the things that I've built are to counteract bad habits that I've fallen into at various points as a DM. Mm. Uh, and one of the bad habits that I have fallen into is, uh, okay, an owl bear jumps out at you. Whereas, in fact, it's a lot of fun to, um, provide signposts that the players, n- players are not quite sure what they mean, mm. but they're worried about them. Mm. So when you say, oh, there's a footprint, it's, it's big, it's got claws, it's big, it's about half as long as, as, as this human fighter over here, they start to worry a little. Uh, which is good fun as a DM. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. it also gives them an opportunity to use their skills. The ranger can finally say, I've got all this stuff listed about tracking that I never use. Uh, now I can use this. Mm. The rogue says, oh, great, I'm going to sneak ahead using stealth. And so it gives people uh, the opportunity to use the stuff that they've been imagining in their head that their character is good at. And if they're smart, they can actually go and find out and scurry through the trees and f- see the owlbear and decide, do we want to leave this alone? Yeah. Or do we think, oh, yeah, yeah, th- maybe I can sell some owlbear feathers to a wizard if mm. we kill this. Mm. Yeah. I suppose one of the vexing questions, of course, is always um, how easy is it to make a pet out of something? I think it's it's easy to try to make a pet out of them. Uh, and, mm. t- and you think you'll, um, you'll probably be very successful until it gets hungry. Mm. This reminds but- me of that story of that guy who was – Going up every day and spending his day in the lair of oh, some yes. bears. 
And well, everyone was telling him he was mad yeah. and he shouldn't yeah. do this because, mm-hmm. because those bears are going to kill you. And he's like, no, no, they think I'm one of them. I'm their friend. Right. They're not going to hurt me. Mm-hmm. And then he did that like every day for a year and they seemed perfectly happy to have him there. Mm-hmm. And then one day, one of them just decided, decided to eat him. <laughs> and that yeah. was it. Yeah. It was over. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's such, uh, depending on the date, it's such an uplifting mm-hmm. or terrible, terrible story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, other than like signs, what other tables have we got mm. in these in these uh, well, cemeteries? Another one that sort of goes with signs is once you've seen that there's a sign of the owl bear, what is it doing? And that's another one that uh, I put in sort of as a note to self. Let's come up with fun stuff for the owl bear to be doing when you find it. Mm. So it might be just prowling around looking for food and looking to eat adventurers. It might be might be uh, guarding a clutch of eggs. Or it might be uh, just finishing off uh, devouring somebody who thought that owl bears make good pets. <laughs> Each of these will when you change the way that you approach the encounter. And of course, this is you know sort of trivial for owl bears. It's probably going to be a small table for owl bears. Mm. There's not that much they do. But when you get to uh, intelligent creatures, uh, goblins or a cambion, uh, you might have quite a, a big chart. Uh, there's all sorts of things they could be doing. You know, goblins, they could be do different things based on the terrain. Mm-hmm. If you're up in the, um, the Arctic, they might have sleds and be pe- pulled by sled dogs. You might see, uh, in this, under the signs, you might see there are, um, tracks in the snow. Uh, and when you find them, they might be, uh, looking to kill adventurers, just like the owlbear, but they also might have problems of their own. They might be being preyed on by some stronger monster and want help. <laughs> like an owlbear. <laughs> Uh, you're like an owl bear. <laughs> Somebody keeps on eating us one by one, and we have no clues except that there are these large um, owl bear droppings. <laughs> and it was because we're uh, we've reduced the role of alignment mm. in monsters, a lot of things which were yeah. previously neutral evil, mm. yeah. like goblins. I don't remember if they were neutral or chaotic evil, but mm. now they're just goblins. Yeah, uh, and we can describe them uh, in our, you know. Um, in our essays about uh, about goblin lore, mm-hmm. but you may well find goblins who are who are not unfriendly, yeah. uh, who need help, yeah. just as likely as you are to find ones who are raiding yeah. Uh, yeah. the villages of the elves. Yeah, well, that's not to but, say but, that but, alignment but, is completely gone because it still exists in but, some contexts, yeah. right. sort of in a supernatural yeah. kind of. If you meet a if you meet a pit fiend, you're not going to find a nice one. No, no, mm-hmm. those are those are uh, evil, uh, lawful evil. In a, in a sort of a cosmic way, hmm. they're yeah. they're sort of as part of their fundamental nature. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so demons and devils like, embody evil, don't they? they right. Yeah. Yeah. I quite I quite like the idea of alignment only really existing at the extremes, yeah. rather than being right. something that binds right. everybody. Yeah. 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 So but just just like we were talking about in the news with uh, mm-hmm. uh, what Watsi is doing, we mm-hmm. also think that taking. Um, intelligent creatures and saying that they're all evil is just not something we want to do. Mm. Uh, and of course, it's not to say that they can't be evil. Oh, yeah. Mm. I think a lot of them are probably oh. pretty crappy. But, you know, I've met uh, some humans I don't like. Yeah. <laughs> haven't we all? Yeah. <laughs> haven't we? <laughs> well, I, I think it's like a lot of it will come down to things like um, the idea that you could maybe barter your way past goblins, which mm, right. goes as far back as, like, say, Second Dead, where you had... Right. Um, attitude, you, you rolled... Um, Oh, the words have completely escaped me. Uh, you rolled their attitude. Oh wow! Yes, I remember that's the the two the two d six 
yeah. role that you do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, same, and if you've got a twelve, they love. They just love you. They think you're the no. greatest. They are exactly. It's like it's it sort of. You don't have to do that sort of random thing, but it exists mm. that you could potentially talk. That these are creatures that can be reasoned with. It right. may be that you can't come to an accommodation because their take is, well, you have things and you're going to give us those things and we will let you live. Hmm. That thinking of that, the reaction table in old editions did sort of influence my ideas about the behavior table. Sort of what is the attitude of these goblins that you just met? Hmm. There's a good chance that they're going to be looking for an ambush or to kill you. And mm. D&D is a game where you fight monsters. There are a lot of battles and there are a lot of opportunities for battle. But there are also opportunities for uh, getting off on a, on a good foot, mm. uh, having other uh, more social types of encounters with them. So it's going to be interesting there because uh, Frank, our, our layout artist, our graphic designer, has been putting together sort of some concept things for the layout of the monsters and we're trying to see how much space it takes up and things like that and uh, he did he did uh, uh, he did a, a bugbear didn't he mm-hmm. and mm. that takes up in our sort of new format two full pages right that's not a two, two page stat block obviously the stat block's nice and concise but we've got a page of cool tables of things mm. that bugbears might be doing or right yeah or I've just you know I've thrown or, everything yeah the kitchen sink in there the bugbears also there are the um, random bugbear names because mm. again to cover my own shortcomings as a DM when I come up with a name off the top of my head there's a 50% chance it'll be good and there's sure. a 50% chance then, it'll be Bob yeah. exactly <laughs> there's a lot of Bobs it, or it'll be a Chief chief Bear Bob yeah. Bob Jim Steve yeah Bear. there's yeah. a lot of those guys out there yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So, it's, so it's gonna be a big book it's gonna be physically bigger than the um, core D&D monster manual, despite the fact right. that it has the same monsters in it, just because each right. monster is going to take up more space because we're doing more with them. It's essentially multi-purpose, though, because um, not only will it let you play role-playing games, but in the event of a zombie apocalypse, you can use it to batter your way through a zombie horde. Exactly, that too. That's, uh, and that that's is the like number one use, yeah. Or you yeah. can use it as a yeah. shield. Well, mm-hmm. indeed, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean... Um, might stop a 22, maybe even a 38. <laughs> who, who can say? Obviously, yeah, you can battle somebody who has the uh, Pathfinder core rules and see who... So there's a couple of little quality that, that. of life changes being made to the stat box yeah. as well that I quite like, and they're tiny little things. So mm. like moving the challenge rating up to the header, mm. for me, mm-hmm. is a really big yeah. thing because one of the first things I look at on a monster is its challenge rating. Because right. I want to get a is sense this... of how powerful this monster is, and that's your first clue as to how powerful the monster is. Right. So I'm to... running a first edition, a, f- a first level game. Is this relevant yeah. to me? So, I'm, in, yeah. I'm a new player. Yeah. So having to scan down the uh, stat block and find the challenge rating mm. in there, which is buried about a third of the way down, just on, mm. on one line, it's it's it's, it's not it's not yeah. a terrible chore, but right. it's just uh, better to it's... have it in the header where you can see it really clearly. My, my right. personal process for choosing monsters is I flip through the book looking for all the coolest pictures, like, oh, that looks awesome. Yeah. And then it's like, I really, I'm like, oh, this is so cool. And they're like, oh, CR25. <laughs> no. Right, exactly. <laughs> I, I guess I guess that's probably not appropriate for, for the mid-level adventures. Fine. Well, there's, there's another yeah. little change we're making that's literally just in the last couple of days because we've been messing around Ooh. with the combat chapter a little bit. Mm-hmm. And there was an awful lot of special attacks. And the pain point of special attacks were, A, they didn't. They weren't quite good enough for you to sacrifice an attack to do them ever. Mm-hmm. Or B, they were just slightly too cumbersome to resolve. There is oh, I can't be bothered. Uh, so 
when it comes to an opposed role, for example, you're adding an extra role, that slows the game down. And if everyone's doing that, suddenly your combat's like a 50% longer than it, than it would normally be. So, um, a lot of these special attacks were basically an opposed role against like a target's, the better of a target's like strength athletics or dexterity acrobatics check. Mm-hmm. And so we just kind of figured, well, if they, if those roles are made so often, why not just pre-calculate them and use the passive mm. values instead? Yeah. And then got, if you're doing that, yeah. why not put that passive value up next to the armor class where it's a really useful place for it to be seen? So when someone nice. then goes, I'm going to grapple him, mm. you go, oh, well, just uh, just make a, a, a strength check against his, uh, uh, I think it's combat defense mm. we've currently called it. I don't know if it will stick with oh, that, yeah. but... Well, grapple defense would be a good one. Oh, yeah, one. but it's not just for grapples, though. It's for all sorts of things. Oh. Right. Grapple and, and sure. then True. for monster design, uh, because we physical are defense. making all yeah, these... Physical defense. Yeah, maybe. Hmm. Physical yeah. defense. Yeah, that's yeah. a better one, actually. Or physical class, and it would be along with armor class. Oh, I don't know. Physical, <laughs> physical class might work better because physical defense is determined 13th age. But then it's just two words, I don't know. But the physical class sounds a bit like a PE lesson from school. <laughs> <laughs> you could call it the physical education stat. That would be good. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Most D&D players have great associations with uh, gym class. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, um, yes. Yeah, so oh, yeah. So um, for, for monster design, the change that this means, if players are going to be doing more pushing, grappling, shoving, and moving of monsters. It means that we need to consider more carefully which monsters are trained in athletics, acrobatics. Mm. And in general, that's also true of other skills. Uh, We're sort of expanding the number of skills that monsters are trained in. Mm. So maybe the bugbear chief uh, is good at intimidation Mm. and uh, survival and tracking. Uh, And these are things which you don't use in combat, but are still still inform the way that the monster acts. Oh, yeah. Things of like perception, proficiency, athletics perception. Perception Perception is important. Well, I'll ask you a question. In the monster manual, Mm. does it show a monster's proficiency bonus? Just there, flat. In the monster manual, it doesn't. I think it does with some online tools like D&D Beyond. Our monster manual or the other monster manual? The original monster monster manual. No. Yeah, it's not you, in there. You can work it out. Right, exactly. I mean, if you look up a monster on D&D Beyond, it is there, because I've checked. Yes. But I, I wasn't so, sure whether it was in the monster manual itself. No, it's not. Uh, we're putting no. it in. Yeah, it mm. needs to be there. Yeah, it's, it's actually pretty important. And also, it's like a, a rough guide like CR as well. Mm. Right. Gives you, gives you a lot of information. Yeah. But then that goes back to our physical defense, whatever we're going to end up calling it, because you know, basically, oh. you've got it's the strength modifier plus that proficiency modifier plus 10. It's like really quick and simple. Right. So for us to go through, even though we're going to be writing it, pre-calculating that for you anyway, it mm-hmm. is a very simple calculation. It's not going to be an effort for us to go through the book and put those in. Yeah. And that's sort of the core philosophy of the monster book is mm. we want to pre-calculate stuff for you yeah. and do the work for you yeah. so that you can run the game as improv as you want. Yeah. And if you want to yeah. use your preparation time, you can use it for your story or mm. some other part of the game and not the, yeah. um, not this boring stuff. Yeah. And, and if you do want to, uh, make your combat encounters even more involved, you don't have to use the work. You can use it as a jumping off point. Right. Yeah. You can say, well, actually what I can do is I can set up expectations by having them act in a similar way. And then once it's established that they have a behavior pattern, a deviation from this pattern can become a plot point. Mm. Right. Everything is a suggestion. 
Um, yeah. The the other thing that I quite like about these stat blocks is that the monsters have a more interesting suite of actions available to them. Oh. Right. And it's not like we've gone and listed 50 different things for them to do just to give you paralysis choice, but we've like added one maybe or maybe two, just just a and little it, bit more. And it really depends on what the monster usually does. Mm. So if you're fighting goblins, we can't make them that complicated because the DM may be well running 15 goblins. But there are some monsters like a Medusa or a Bullet that, in my experience, are more likely to be found alone or in a small group. Mm. And they're not... And D&D has a term for a monster that it wants you to run alone, which is a legendary monster. Mm. Mm. A bullet is not quite a legendary monster, uh, but it needs uh, to act sort of cool. the same way in some. I'm, I'm I, I don't mean to, to insult. <laughs> I'm going to have to dispute this. If, you, if, you're a level, if you're a level 17 character, sure, the bullet isn't le- legendary. If you're like level five, I can assure you it very much is. We're going to get letters from bullets now. <laughs> <laughs> they have the little hands. They'll be there typing on their keyboards. Actually, I'm already drafting up my apology. <laughs> okay, that's right then. <laughs> but uh, a bullet has to be uh, has to have some of the same things that a, a legendary encounter does. It has to be able to deal with being attacked by five different characters. Mm-hmm. It should have a, a, at least have a reaction. It, it can have a something that it does once during the battle just to make it more exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of just standing there for three turns doing the same thing or jumping in exactly the same way. Because we want something to happen during the bot battle that makes the characters say, whoa, I didn't expect that. Mm. Mm. Or, you know, to start swearing uncontrollably. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> also the sense of That's the unknown as thing. well. When mm. right. a lot of people pretty much know what monsters are going to do. Mm. And I suppose once, they, right. once they've played with this new monstrous menagerie, eventually they'll get to learn that as well as they did mm. the previous. Right. There's certainly going to be a period when monsters are doing stuff that's new to them. Mm. Right. Uh, and something that we have uh, also introduced to sort of combat that a little bit is uh, variants of monsters. Mm. One of the excellent designers who's working on this book, Cassandra, did a, a really great take on ogre zombies, mm. which uh, I think like when you hit it, it uh, rips open its chest and fires like viscera, and, and which does damage in some way. It's, it's really awful. And this, uh, this isn't going to be the standard ogre zombie. But it's a really great thing to have as a variant in the book so that when players think they know what they're getting when they're fighting, you know, when they're uh, on their way to fight the necromancer, mm-hmm. they can find a couple of surprises. Yeah. Uh, and this is something that video games do well. You know, if you're playing a video game, they're thinking about how can this encounter be different from anything you've done before. Mm-hmm. And we want, and, and role-playing games are games about imagination. They have to be at least as imaginative as video games. We should be able to outclass them because the budget's a lot less for mm. using your imagination. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or, in other, or in other terms, it's kind of like, a, it's a lot more. It's an infinite budget because you can imagine anything right. and describe it. Right. So let's do it. Let's, uh, let's take, take on some of that work and come up with uh, different variations mm. for you. Yeah. Mm. Right. I think we have to start winding up now. Oh, yeah. I was just getting started. Right. Well, hey, well, thanks well. for having me. <laughs> yeah. Well, we could we could talk about maths for ages. This is definitely <laughs> definitely the nerdiest episode of our, pod- oh, of our podcast. Oh, we, I am we sure. Oh, again, I <laughs> get away with you. Uh, I'll take that as another win. Besides my time, uh, yeah, in a good way. That's a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, I now have to read this to you. 
This is the official podcast of Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG news, which you can find at enworld.org. You can find show notes at morris.podbean.com or wherever you found the podcast. If you feel like they deserve it, you can support the show on Patreon. In return, you will receive exclusive bonus content. Just go to patreon.com slash morris. If you're interested in his babbling nonsense, you can follow at Morris on the Twitter. Send your emails to morrispodcast at gmail.com. Not all of your emails, just the ones you want us to see. Mm, That's it. I'm bored now. You can go away. Shoo, off you go. Goodbye. Get out of here. I'm going to be buying it. For sure. I uh, I, I really enjoyed Dragonlog. Okay. I hope you'll be reading it, Russ, but if you're going to be writing it, then congratulations. Buying it, I said, not writing it. You're buying it. I'm not, not going to be writing did you it. Say, did yeah. you say you were going to be biting it? I'm going to be biting be bite? it, yes. <laughs> don't, don't bite it, Russ. That's not how, that's not how <laughs> books work. That's not how this works. <laughs>